we first meet God in the pages of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1. And we're told that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And if you look through the pages of Scripture, you find this unique, distinct relationship that God has with water. How He uses water. There there is something unique here. It was Pharaoh, the mightiest man in all of the world, the most powerful ruler in all of the world at that time. He, He drowned in the water. The Levitical priest had to wash in the water before certain ceremonies could take place. The children of Israel that were born while the Jewish nation was in the wilderness, before they could get to the promised land, they had to pass through the water of the Jordan River. God and water. Water and God. God taught Moses to bring water out of a rock. Jesus' ministry actually begins as he's baptized in the water. The very first miracle that takes place in Jesus' ministry involves water, the water to wine. Some of you, that's your favorite one. God and water, and water and God. God, it seems, has always had a special relationship with water. Could it be that that's one of the reasons that The Scriptures teach in the New Testament that baptism is is so important. Baptism is not just a ritual. Baptism for the Christ follower is not something that is optional. Don't miss the power of God using water. Jesus allowed Peter to walk on the water. He called many of the disciples standing right by the water. Lydia was baptized just outside of Philippi in the water. The Ethian eunuch was with Philip, and he saw some water, and he asked Philip, what hinders me from being baptized right now in the water? God describes the relationship that we have with him, and he paints a picture when Jesus says to the woman at the well getting water, if you drink of the waters I have, you'll never thirst again. God and water and water, and God. We know the Bible teaches that God made man out of the dust of the earth. He he formed him, and in this creation, the creation of humanity, somehow God used that dust, but there's an element where he had to use water because we also know the brain and the heart are 73% water. The lungs are 63% water. Your skin is 64% water. Your muscles and your kidneys are 79% water, and even your bones are 31% water. We know you can live longer without food than you can without water. And water craves water. Water requires water. You will always need what you're created to be, and your thirst is made out of what you're made of. God and water. Psalm 46, one of my favorite psalms. In in fact, you may want to just, if you have a Bible, turn to the back and jot it down, or maybe put in your phone the phrase, for the worst day of my life, dash Psalm 46. It, It is one of those unique moments in the Word of God where 
in a supernatural way, there is some encouragement and there's some strength found in Psalm 46. And in that Psalm, we find that God says, as followers of Christ, those of us that are people of faith, there are waters inside us, living waters that are flowing. We know that God refreshes with water and we know that God can use water as a weapon. The children of Israel are escaping Pharaoh and hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt. And God uses water to wipe out the entire Egyptian army. It's interesting that God kills Pharaoh in what he was born in. Water brought him through the birth canal and now later water is taking his life. What at one time would ease labor pains now brings greater pain. It's interesting to me that Noah, when he builds the ark, think about the faith that Noah had. God says it's going to rain, and rain. Noah had never seen rain a day in his life, had no idea what that would look like or what that would be like. And it's interesting that Noah builds an ark for a coming storm when he's never seen rain. He just believed God. How do we know he believed God? He acted on it. You know what you believe, not based on what you think or feel. You know what you believe based on what you do with what you think or feel. He believed God. But it's interesting. The same water that elevated the ark and saved those who trusted God and obeyed Him, that same water destroyed those who did not. And then we come to one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. John 3.16 is more famous. There are a couple verses that may be more famous, but it's, it's the last words of Jesus. The crucifixion's taken place. The resurrection has taken place. Over 500 people, eyewitnesses, have seen Jesus after he's raised from the dead. He's about to ascend back to heaven, and this is what he says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Water. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. What is this unique relationship that God seems to have with water? I don't understand it all. I just know that there's something supernatural that takes place when a person who's given their life to Jesus says yes to the very next thing God asks us to do, which is to be baptized. In fact... In all the years that I've been in ministry, which is a long time, I'm 50, none your business. In all the years I've been in ministry, I'm 52. In all these years, so I can say that if it was like 57 or 59, I would stick with none of your business. One of the most common things that I see in people's lives where people get stuck spiritually and feel like there's no momentum, there's no growth, that they don't sense the presence of God the way they'd like to, that they don't feel like their prayers are connecting the way they wish they were. One of the most common things that I see in people's lives, Christ followers, where we can get stuck is for the person who's invited Jesus to come into their life, but they've not been baptized. Think think about this. If you were God and you said, hey, Here's the first thing I want you to do. And someone was unwilling to do that. Why would you show them the second or third or fourth or fifth thing? This is a starting point, and it is an expectation in Scripture that as a follower of Christ, 
we would be baptized. But this subject, baptism, I've got to be honest. We know more about baptism from what we were taught by family or what we've heard from friends than any other source. Baptism, it's one of those things that rarely do we come across people that have done a deep dive and really studied what it is in the Scriptures. Our opinions are formed by the people we love or the things we've heard. What you need to know, and I need to know, that I think is extremely important is, back in that culture, back in that day, when Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that word baptize, it was not a religious word. It was not a word exclusively used when it comes to something that is a a step of faith in people's lives. It comes from the Greek word baptizo. What's interesting is this word literally means to wash or plunge or soak or dip. We find it used in places in Scripture often when scribes would transcribe the Scriptures because the, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. So as they would translate it, they would often translate the word baptizo as wash or plunge. For example, Mark chapter 7, verse 4, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. Same word. It doesn't mean they went and got baptized. It means they washed. Rest of verse 4, and they observe many other traditions such as the washing, baptizo, of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Or Luke chapter 11, verse 38, but the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. He wasn't surprised he didn't get baptized before the meal. It was just a common, ordinary word in everyday language used to express the idea of washing or plunging or soaking or dipping. But then something changed in about 30 A.D. when a guy whose first name was John said, this is how you identify as a follower of Jesus. He was preaching by the Jordan River, and this was a place of commerce. It was a place of traffic. People were walking by. People were busy in their lives. There were families playing with their kids in the water. And John goes down in the water, and he says, listen, if you'll trust in the Messiah, if you'll place your trust in Christ, the one who's coming, you come and be baptized. He he was saying it's, it's not enough to stand on the shoreline and listen to the Word of God and say, yeah, I believe that. You've got to do something with what you believe. James, the brother of Jesus, would put it this way. Don't just be hearers of the word and merely listen to it, but do what it says. And so John said, listen, if you want to identify with Jesus, if you want to be a Christ follower, if you want to give your life to him, your next step, you you come right now into the water and be baptized. It, It was not uncommon for people to convert from one belief system to another. In fact, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to convert to Judaism, which was happening a lot at this time, there are some steps that church leaders got together and they said, okay, if you're a Gentile and you want to become a part of the Jewish belief system and the Jewish religion, here are the steps you've got to take. The very first step was circumcision, which means mainly women converted. I mean, uh, circum- circumcision. If you don't know what circumcision is, that's where, <laughs> that was last Sunday. I'm not going to do that this week. You had to have a surgery if you were a guy. That, that's the first step. Second step, you had to partake in a covenant meal, a meal like the Passover, a meal with some religious meaning to it. That was the second step. Third step, you had to acknowledge the law of Moses, the law in the Old Testament. You had to say, okay, I'm going to now live my life based on these laws and the God that gave these laws. I'm going to do the best I can to abide by these and transform my life, adapt my life to live in this way. 
Then you had to offer a sacrifice. And then the fifth step was a ceremonial washing. It could be called a baptism. Now, what was unique about this is this occasion and every other occasion in culture, people would do the ceremonial washing in private. Nobody baptized anybody else. It was a private ceremonial washing and part of the journey of converting to Judaism. But now John, he's called John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, is inviting people to come into water, and John would baptize them, and it's the first time in recorded history one person would baptize another person. John lived his life in such a way that the religious leaders actually came and asked him, are you, are you the Messiah? Are you the one you're talking about? And he said, no, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. I'm talking about someone that is coming. And then there was that day, there was one occasion when John was at the Jordan River. He was baptizing. He'd been preaching. And we read in Luke chapter 23, verse this. First this, first this. Exactly what I meant. I got my merge wixed. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's later, the thief on the cross with Jesus, and he's saying, hey, I, 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 I just, I want to put my trust in you. I want to put my faith in you. Now, what's interesting to me, there are some who say you have to be baptized to go to heaven. But that thief did not get on the, off the cross to be baptized, and Jesus says, today you'll be with me forever in a place called heaven. John is sharing the message of who Christ is. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The guy I've been telling you about, the one I've been pointing to, the one I've been talking about, that's him. And Jesus, the Bible says, went down into the water and asked John to baptize him. Now, can you imagine if Jesus walked up to you, you're just hanging out, on the lake, hey, would you baptize me? You would feel the way all of us would feel. I'm not worthy to do that. But Jesus insists, why would Jesus have John, who's just a guy, a normal guy like you and me, why would he have John baptize? This, this is the Son of God, Jesus. Why would he do that? It was the way that Jesus chose to endorse or put his stamp of approval on everything John was teaching. Because that's what we do when we're baptized. When you go public with your faith and you're baptized, that is our way of saying, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. I've trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've given my life to Him. I'm not perfect, but He is. And I've invited Him to come into my life and forgive me of my sin. And as best I can, I identify with Him, and He is my Lord and my God. It's, an, it's a connection of identifying with. And so Jesus said, oh, it's essential. You've got to do this because I want to put my stamp of approval, my endorsement on what you've been teaching. So what do we know from Scripture about this idea of baptism? We know it's a public step. We live in a culture that tells you to keep your faith to yourself. But the truth of Scripture is our faith is deeply personal, but it's not private. Faith is something you and I are supposed to give away, and what I've discovered is the more I give my faith away, the more I have it. The more I see God use that. And so we're called as followers of Christ to go public with our faith. So I, I have to go back to the question. I asked you earlier, what, what have you done with water? Well, I, I prayed a prayer and I invited Jesus to come into my life. That's awesome. That's the starting point. That's the first step. 
the very next step is baptism. And if you've hesitated or paused, oh, I'm, just, I'm just praying about it. <laughs> Let me help you. Let me help you. Did you know you don't have to pray about anything God's already answered? God, should I be, should, should I be kind to this jerk at work? He's already answered it. God, should I forgive? He's already answered it. God, should I be baptized? He's already answered it. God, you, you think after thousands of years of human history, God's going to go, wow, Jethro, that's a new objection I've never heard. Maybe I was wrong. No, he's already answered it because God knows. God's the creator of life. He knows how best to live it, and we jack it up and screw it up when we don't live it the way he says to live it. And he knows there is freedom. There is something unique that happens in our spiritual lives every single time we say yes to what God asks us to do. And here's part of the power in this moment. It just so happens, crazy how these things work. We're baptizing later this month. Isn't that awesome? Just fell into place like that. Last Sunday of this month, last Sunday of March, March 26th, we're baptizing. Here's the thing. You have the opportunity to shift the momentum in your life. If this is something you've been thinking about, praying about, if this is something you know that you need to do, this is your next step. And it points the trajectory of your life in a different direction. We want to develop. I want to develop. You want to develop. I want us to develop a quick yes to everything God asks us to do. I don't want to wrestle with, delay, hesitate, pause on things God's asked me to do. I want to develop a default position in my life of saying yes to the things God's asked me to do. And so if you know this is your next step, you're going to get a chance today to sign up for the last Sunday in March to be baptized, and it's going to be awesome, but you're also going to start to create that momentum in your life of I'm going to say yes to what God asked me to do. It's going public with your faith. Baptism is also deeply personal. It's part of the reason that we don't baptize babies or sprinkle babies in the life of C3. Now, let me say this. Some of you grew up in churches that did that. Some of you, you were sprinkled as a baby, and, and you don't remember it, but you've seen the pictures, and your parents are so proud of that moment. What I'm about to say, I'm not trying to take anything meaningful away from that moment. But I do have a responsibility to say to you that every single person that was baptized in Scripture, it was by their own choice. And it was after they had committed their life to Jesus. Every single occasion. See, when someone else makes a decision for you, that's not you owning your faith. And so while something may have happened earlier in your life that was meaningful, the reality is it's not you taking a step of faith. When I was eight years old, in fact, this was back in the day. Some of you grew up in church, and you'll understand this. When I grew up in church... At the end of the service, the pastor would come down on the floor like this, and we would sing one more song. And during that song, if you needed prayer, or if you wanted to give your life to Jesus, or you wanted to say, hey, I want to be baptized, you would leave your seat and come up and talk to the pastor while everybody's looking at you. I, I was eight years old. I was sitting somewhere over in that area at that church in Texas where I grew up, and, and I slipped out of my seat during that song, and I came to the front, terrified. My grandfather was the pastor. He gave me a hug. He sat me on the front row, and a lady walked up, an, an older, I think she was on the ark with Noah, older lady. I don't know how she was still breathing. She walked up and had me fill out a card, and she helped me with it. And, and about a week later, I was baptized. But guys, here, here's the thing. Nobody led me in a prayer to invite Jesus to come into my life. I think we have pushed some things on people that help them think I'm getting closer to God 
And it has nothing to do with what Scripture teaches. Join the church. Be a member of the church. In C3, we don't have membership. We don't have members because here's the problem with members. Membership leads to entitlement, and I don't find membership anywhere in the pages of Scripture. And part of the problem is, their church, we have 8,000 members. How many people do you have on Sunday? 120. Are we helping people believe because your name is on a church roll somewhere that you're okay with God and nothing could be further from the truth if you're not active in your faith? When I was 16 years old, I was walking through some very challenging things. Um, the police were very active in my life. I'll say it like that. I've not always been a pastor. And I came to a point, January the 4th, 1987. My dad took me to meet with the pastor of the church that Sunday morning, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I got on my knees in his office, and I prayed a very simple prayer, telling Jesus if he'd have me, I wanted him, asking him to come into my life and forgive my sin. And my life radically changed. About a week later, I was baptized. Some of you, you have a similar story. You were young like I was when I was eight, and it was a, maybe a meaningful experience for your family, maybe a religious experience, or you may have been so much younger you don't even remember, but it was later in life that you gave your life to Jesus. You invited him to come into your life. You've not been baptized unless it was after that moment and a choice of you taking a step of faith. It's deeply personal. I think the last thing we need to understand about baptism, it is not a condition of salvation. It's an evidence of salvation. You don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. Now, that doesn't mean you want to be in a place where it's just like, okay, well, I'm not going to worry about it. No, if you have an opportunity to be baptized, the Bible says that you and I are responsible for what we know of the Word of God, and you can never again after this day say, oh, I didn't know. But the reality is the thief on the cross that I read about a few minutes ago, he didn't have a chance to make any wrongs right. He didn't have a chance to go to everybody he'd, he'd stolen from and ask for forgiveness. He didn't have a chance to get baptized. All he could do was place his trust in Jesus and say, man, I'm yours. Will, will, you, will you receive me? Will you have me? And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So while baptism is not essential for salvation, it is essential if you want to live the life God created you to live. It is essential to be right with God spiritually if you have an opportunity to be baptized and you don't do it. The Bible calls that sin, and it will hinder and interrupt your relationship with Jesus. And I just care about you enough to be willing to have a little bit of an awkward conversation to say, hey, isn't it time? Well, but what about I was younger, and I, I, I remember kind of praying a prayer, and I know I was baptized, but I'm not sure about what all that meant or if I really understood. And it was later in life, I hear this all the time, it was later in life I really trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior and really got serious about my faith. Do I need to get baptized again? What do I do? What do I do? Scripture teaches that you only need to be baptized once, and that's after you give your life to Christ. But if, if you're not sure, I always encourage people, man, you need a date. You need a date that you can look at and say, I'm not sure what happened before that, but in that moment, I'd given my life to Jesus. I took the step of faith. 
on that moment because our enemy has a way of defeating us and plaguing us and causing us to doubt. And if you're not sure, it's hard to be confident about things in life if you're carrying a lack of certainty in your life. So I encourage people, man, get baptized. If if you're not sure what happened before, take that step of faith. It, It is not essential. If you know I gave my life to Jesus and I was baptized, you're good. If you're not sure, take the step of faith. I don't think you're going to get to heaven if you do that and God be like, wow, you, you took me far too seriously. I mean, I asked you to do something and you weren't sure, so you went the extra mile. You're a fanatic. You're I don't think he's going to be like that. How much are you drawn in if you're a parent? How much are you drawn into your kids when they're trying to make sure they, they're doing what you've asked and they're going the extra mile and doing it? Now listen, th- this is for you. And it's the step that is essential. So it only leaves two questions. How am I baptized and when am I baptized? How? We baptize the way Jesus was baptized, which was by immersion. The scripture says Jesus went down into the water. He came up out of the water. When he did, the heavens opened up and there was a loud voice saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And you know the story if you know your Bible. But Jesus, you can't go down into and come up out of a sprinkle. You can't do it. And so I'm not being disrespectful. I'm just being honest. That's how we baptize. We baptize by immersion. We keep it simple. We just want to do it the way Scripture teaches. So that's why we baptize by immersion. The second thing is when. Because what's more important than how is when. The timing matters. It's after every single occasion in Scripture. It's after someone has given their life to Jesus. Do you... Do you really love God? And if you say you do, how how do we love God? How how do we do that? We know how to love people in relationships. I know the love I have for my bride. I know the love I have for my kids. I know the love I have for you. And we know how to share love with friends or family. But how do you love God? You can't wake up in the morning and give God a big hug. You can't high-five God when your team wins. How do you love God? How do you know? Do I love God? How, how do I know? God knew we would wrestle with that. And so he tells us in John 14, 15, if you love me, Jesus speaking, keep my commands. The people we love, we listen to, and we do what they ask. So if you've given your life to Jesus, what have you done with water? Something God has chosen to use that is a picture of what's happened in your life. The old you is gone. The new you with Christ living inside, that's who you are. It doesn't mean you're now perfect. It just means you have a perfect Savior living inside you that has forgiven you and has a purpose for your life and will lead you in that purpose. Every single time God asks me to do something, in church, this is part of our culture. When I say yes, God will bless. I want us to be a people that give God a quick yes. And when I say yes, it brings God's best. Our God is a loving God. He says, here's how you live life. Here's how you grow spiritually. And anything less than a yes is a no. Have you ever thought, I want more? I want more out of my spiritual life. I want more out of life. I want more God 
and whatever that looks like in my life. I want more of His presence. I want more of living His purpose for my life. I just want more God. I need more God. For some of you in this room, this is the step that unlocks that. And the huge door to opportunity swings on a little bitty hinge called obedience. You know in your heart right now, not because of my voice, but because of something that's much louder in your life, this is the step I need to take. I want to invite you to grab your phone. Everybody grab your phone. A couple things I want you to do. First of all, if you know, man, I I need to get baptized. That's my next step. Baptism is happening March the 26th, both of the Sunday morning services. I want to encourage you right now. don't don't, Don't let anything rob you of this moment. Allow God to create a momentum in your life from this moment of saying yes to what he's asked you to do, being sensitive to his spirit. That is always a win for you. Text the word baptism, B-A-P-T-I-S-M, to 407-559-6767. If that's your next step, just text the word baptism to that number. That will take you through a process to get registered. If you have questions, we're happy to answer any questions. And we look forward to an incredibly meaningful time on March 26th. So don't miss it. Don't miss it. Maybe the whole reason God had me talk about this morning was what he wants to do in your life, that you're keeping that from happening because of your lack of obedience. Take the step. But then there's, there's one other thing, real quick, real quick. I won't take more than four hours. Notice this. Matthew 28, listen to what we said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's why when we baptize, we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because that's how the Bible says to do it, and we just keep it simple and do what the Bible says. But, but there's something that happens before the baptizing, and it's the first part of the verse. Some of you, you need to take your next step, which is to be baptized. But if you're a Christ follower, All of us need to take the next step of the first part of the verse. Therefore, go and make disciples. And you can't make a disciple until you reach people. So who is it that you need to reach? Easter is April the 9th. God has placed you strategically in relationships to influence people. In fact, did you know if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower, the only reason you're still breathing on planet Earth and haven't already gone to heaven is because there's somebody God has for you to reach. Think about it. The only thing we won't be able to do in heaven for all of eternity is reach people for Jesus. You're going to be able to worship there. You're going to be able to pray there. You're going to be able to connect in a Bible word, fellowship, which means close, connected, intimate friendships. You're going to be able to do that in heaven. The only thing we can only do on earth is reach more people. So the only reason you're still here, the only reason I'm still here, if we've given our life to Jesus, is to reach more people. And here's the powerful thing that I think sometimes people underestimate. You have a far greater ability to reach people than I do. Here's why. When I talk to somebody In the conversation at some point, they'll say, hey, what do you do? What do you do for a living? And I love that question when it's come after like five minutes of them cussing and dropping every word in the book. And what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, oh. Bleep, bleep, bleep. I'm sorry. Bleep, bleep, bleep. (laughs) No, dude, I'm, I'm just a guy. But the minute people think, the minute people hear I'm a pastor, here's what they think. You're the paid salesman. Of course you're going to say that stuff. And it doesn't matter. They they don't know me. They don't know my heart. 
doesn't matter how much I believe this. Like, I, I, I would say this even if I wasn't a pastor because I believe what the Word of God says. But it doesn't matter. But, but here's the thing. When you walk across to that other cubicle at the office, are, are you say something to the person sitting next to you in algebra? Or you walk across the street and have that conversation, or you talk with that other parent while your kids are at the ball field, when you invite somebody, hey, I don't know if you have plans for Easter, but I go to C3, I think you'd love it. I'd love you to just try it once. Would, would you go with me Easter? Eight out of ten people will say yes. And when you say that, you're not the paid salesman, you're the satisfied customer. You have far more credibility than I do. People think I have an agenda because they don't know me. But as pastors, we've earned that reputation, unfortunately. But when you invite, it carries more octane. It has more power. And God uses it in profound ways. You have an opportunity. Here's why that matters. You were created for significance. Your life means something. And you will never live at the level of significance you could until you're helping other people know God in a personal way. Somebody did it for you. Like you're here because somebody invited you. Somebody shared with you. Somebody influenced you to come. And you might say, no, that didn't happen. I, I saw a magnet on the back of a car. Well, they must have been driving okay because you came. So somebody, and, and the people who invest financially, they pay for those magnets. So, yeah, somebody influenced you. Somebody invited you. Somebody has done something for you. What are you doing for the somebodies in your life? Because when this life is over, in fact, 100 years from now, all that's going to matter is where you are and who's there with you. Guys, nothing else is going to matter. And God has placed you strategically where you live, where you work, where you go to school, where you buy groceries, where you buy gas. God has placed you strategically in relationships, and you have the answer for the greatest need of any human being on earth. Some of you, you need to get baptized. All of us need to be reaching people. So here's what that means. Easter is April 9th. But don't wait till Easter. This week, invite somebody for next Sunday. Go ahead and start inviting because you'll invite somebody. They may or may not come next Sunday. Next week, you'll invite somebody. They may or may not come that Sunday. But the week before Easter, you can go back to all those people. Hey, I know I mentioned it. I know it invited you. We're having special Easter services in my church. I think you'd love it. Just try it once. Will you come? And eight out of ten will say yes. You start plowing the ground now. You start planting the seed now. You start developing those conversations now. And here's what it does in your life and mine. When I'm thinking like that, it helps me be more observant. It helps me pay more attention to people. Well, man, who, who do I invite at the office? The person you like the least? Here's why. I have found people become more likable when they meet Jesus. <laughs> the person you can't stand at the office, the person that's mean, get them to church, let them meet Jesus. He'll change their life. It'll be a better work atmosphere immediately. Like, who do you invite? Invite whoever God puts on your mind because he has placed you strategically in relationship, and some of you, you are the only way somebody's ever going to hear about Jesus. Man, I... I just don't know what to say to him. I don't know how to share my faith yet. You'll learn that the more you attend here. But if you don't, hey, we partner with you. You get them here. And all of our volunteers, many of you, we have an army of volunteers. They're more than volunteers. They're leaders. And they create an atmosphere of excellence every single Sunday where they help people know that they matter. You get them here, we'll take it from there, and we'll do our best, and God will change lives, just like he's done the last few Sundays, the last few months, the last few years. So who's your one? Pray the high-risk prayer this week of saying, God, lay one person on my heart to invite this week and do that every single week. Who's your one?
Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I'm so grateful for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. God, all of us in this room, we are all broken, messed up people. None of us have arrived. None of us have it all figured out. But you love us, and you've done everything necessary for us to know you in a personal way. Father, I pray right now for people that already texted in and they're going to take that next step of getting baptized. I pray you'd bless them, and we know your word teaches you always bless when we say yes to what you've asked. God, I pray for us as a church, as individuals and families, that we would be very strategic about loving you by loving people and inviting them. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you know, you know that the greatest need in your life is to know God in a personal way. Maybe you've known about God. Maybe you've prayed prayers to God. Maybe there are seasons in your life where you've tried harder and been better. But, but you know, you can't even live up to your own expectations, much less God's. None of us can. You need something beyond you. I needed something beyond me. That's why Jesus came. He wants to forgive your sin to cleanse you, to give you a home in heaven after this life, but to give you a spirit living inside you in this life so you can live the life God created you to live and fulfill your purpose, experience a life of significance. If you'd like to know God in a personal way, I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You can pray this out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. The Bible says that Jesus knows even our thoughts. So just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. As best I know how, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. You can text your name to 407-487-8311, and Pastor Byron will be praying for you this week. And also, we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. You can go to giveC3.cc or you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. Thank you so much for how you give. And if you are in Central Florida, please join us in person at our campus at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Have a great week.